The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, February 16th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Andrea Salenzi. Mike Pesca will be back tomorrow. Now, you all might have heard a few weeks ago that the gist is hiring. I'm moving on to begin developing my own show. And for that to happen, we need a new producer. Actually, sometimes keep gym clothes in the office. Andrea doesn't like that. If you have a problem with that, you might not want to apply. I'm just warning you. The hiring process is a lot of work. All that screening, the vetting, the interviews. So I thought I'd just fast forward, get a couple of great potential candidates in the room, and talk to them right here. So welcome to the gist, guys. Hi. Hi. Now, to make sure you're all qualified, I want to go over a few essential qualities for a good gist producer. Number one, you need to have an interest in men's fashion. Gist producers are often asked to consult with the host, Pesca, on his dress before major media appearances. You must have thoughts and different necks of t-shirts, pocket lining, shoe color. Number two, the right approach to kitchen small talk. Mike often makes his lunch in the kitchen, and it will look good. Can we compliment his lunch? No. That is considered meaningless small talk. We recommend trivia, wordplay, like... Ooh, did you know the slipper-shelled snail starts life as a male and gradually turns female as it grows up? Good. Very good. Are you familiar with Botswana's economic success story? Of course he is. See episode 64 of The Gist. Next. Uh, Did you know some lions mate over 50 times a day? Interesting. That could almost be spiel fodder, which brings me to quality number three essential for any Gist producer. As part of an ongoing joke on the show, all bookings and show ideas related to animal husbandry, bestiality, all things animal sex are really prioritized. That is messed cool. up. Um, cool. For example, see episode number two of The Gist, where we learned about the bestiality witch hunt in colonial America. The herd of sheep were brought before him so he could identify those he defiled. Absolutely. And you can imagine the lineup. This one I had sex with, this one, that one's a dog. I wouldn't come close to it. Or our story from episode 176 about collecting bull semen. And the semen's collected with what is called an artificial vagina. The last quality that I look for in a new producer, you have to be a masterful translator of Pesca speak. So, for example, here is an email that I, word for word, this is a real one I got from Mike Pesca. It says, let's harm... E. Harry, on for one word, sometime next week. Oh, I, I get that. It's let's have Harry Enton on the show sometime next week. No. What? Damn it. I Yeah, but harm could have just been have, just tapped into the cell phone with autocorrect. And Harry Enton is a regular guest? No, no, no. I've been doing this for quite some time, guys. I've done 435 episodes to date, and I think I know what Mike Pesca's saying. Let's harm Harry is code for Harry's razors and the joy of a smooth shave with a well-designed handle. And I have to say, guys, this is a wonderful job. Just visit slate.com slash jobs for the full description and a link to apply. Cool. I'm, I'm oh, so excited to fun. work here. Really um, excited. Coming up on the show, in the spiel, I explore a trend in podcasting, which is when you pretend that you are no genius. A self-proclaimed genius is the subject of our first interview. Forrest Wickman joins me to discuss the first track of The Life of Pablo. Kanye West's new album. It wouldn't be the Grammys if we didn't have something to say about Taylor Swift and Kanye West. Last night, as Taylor accepted Album of the Year for 1989. There are going to be people along the way who will try to undercut your success or take credit for your accomplishments or your fame. 
She was talking about this line from the new Kanye West album. Me and Taylor might still have sex. Why? I made that bitch famous. Goddamn. I made that bitch famous. In studio with me now is Forrest Wickman, a culture editor here at Slate. Welcome to The Gist. Hey, thanks for having me. Can I still love this album? Yeah. I mean, this, to some extent, this stuff has already al- always been in his work, and it's no secret that there's a lot of misogyny in hip-hop. To the extent that it's offensive, I think that it is important not to overlook it or give it a pass. But uh, if you can push through it and still really like the album, then I think that's what you should do. And, and you don't have to feel bad about that. And, uh, and he is... Uh, you know, an incredibly important artist who has won more Grammys than anyone of his generation and has won the, you know, annual critics poll of album of the year more times than anyone else except for Bob Dylan. Like, this is an extremely important artist. And so it certainly would be a mistake for critics and music fans to not even consider him. And a lot of people just dismiss him. And I think you can't feel like you really understand music in 2016 if you simply dismiss Kanye West as some sort of crazy lunatic or only a misogynist or something else. Or married to someone you're not interested right, in right. thinking about. Yeah. Had you been worried it wasn't going to be good? Oh, absolutely. I'd been worried. I think there are basically two main reasons I was worried. Uh, number one, it's pretty rare for really any artist to continue for this long. It's been, uh, I don't know, if, you, if you're just talking about Kanye's work as a rapper and you even forget about his early work as a producer, uh, this is somebody who's been at the center of music for 12 or 13 years. Not a lot of artists stay that big and that good and that relevant for that long. So I worried. I wanted to see whether like the normal rules applied to him. And then the second thing is, He's been acting very strangely on Twitter, which is not new for Kanye West, but he tweeted Bill Cosby innocent, which is the dumbest thing he's ever tweeted. And and that that was a point where I thought, oh, like this actually could do harm in the world for this message to be out there and that it some people might take it as sort of like validating or legitimizing of their doubts about Bill Cosby. And, you know, there are Cosby truthers out there. Well, let's hear some of Ultra Light Beam. So Kanye comes out, he says, this is a gospel album. And then you hear this. Yes, we don't want no devils in our house, God. Yes, we Lord. We want the Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Have your mercy, God. Yes. Jesus, praise the Lord. Yes, sir. Hallelujah, So that's a sample. What's it from? So this is this um, Instagram video that's really only a few weeks old. Um, Three weeks. From the Instagram account, Natalie is Great. Yes, sir. Hallelujah, God. Yes, We don't want no devils in our house, you know, it had a few hundred likes. It got passed around a little bit. It had 549 likes, I think. It was okay, just Okay, like I think it was not, even less when I yeah, looked at it. Yeah, it wasn't even viral. But it really sets up the whole album. So it might even almost be worth listening to how his last album began because it's just so different. You know, his last album was Yeezus, which is this kind of hyper-abrasive, aggressive album 
you know, where Kanye is portraying himself as like a quote black skinhead. Anyway, the, the opening track is, it, well, the, the opening sound is this like demented burbling sound. Jesus was one, uh, his most polarizing album in a long time didn't do commercially as well and as kind of unapologetic as Kanye is he really cares what people think I mean he he put a poll on Twitter asking people what the album should be named so I think part of what he's doing on this album very self-consciously is is kind of giving the people what they want a little bit more I'm trying to keep my Depression, not blessings. Why or oh why'd you do me wrong? Whoa. You persecute the weak because it makes you feel so strong. You don't have much strength to fight, so I look to the light Whoa. to make these wrongs turn right. Head up high, I look to the light. Hey, cause I know that you'll make everything alright. And I know that you'll take good care of your child. Contributors on this song, there are many. The one you already mentioned was Chance the Rapper. How did Chance come onto this project? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we know the exact story, but people have been expecting Kanye West and Chance the Rapper to work together for a long time. I mean, Chance the Rapper is probably the most prominent Kanye West super fan that there is. In He references Kanye's work repeatedly on his albums. Uh, you know, for example, in this uh, track, he references the phrase good ass job which was kind of long rumored to be the title of you know one of Kanye West's next albums everybody thought that after college dropout and late registration and graduation that good ass job would be the next one and and chance has you know on many of his own songs uh kind of co-opted that phrase for for himself so it's a big moment for him to be on this track Treat the demons just like Pam. I mean, I fuck with your friends, but damn, Gina. I've been this way since Arthur was an eater. Now they want to hit me with the woo up the bam. Trying to send photos of family. Uh, my daughter look just like Sia. You can't see her. You can feel the lyrics and spirit coming in Braille. Tell me another underground. Come and follow the trail. I made Sunday candy. I'm never going to hell. I met Kanye West. I'm never going to fail. He said, let's do a good-ass job with Chance 3. I hear you got to sell it to snatch the grand meat. Let's make it so free and the bar so hard that it ain't one gosh darn part. You can't tweet. This is my part. Nobody else speak. This is my part. Nobody else speak. And the line everyone keeps quoting is, I met Kanye West, I'm never going to fail. So one of the more interesting things that is happening on this album is that Kanye is really kind of fusing the sacred and the profane. He's uh, Kanye's always been interested in contradictions and in kind of fusing things that appear to be opposites together. On his first album that he kind of made his name and and his biggest early impact in hip-hop by kind of breaking down the wall between so-called politically conscious or socially conscious rappers and like, you know, gangster rappers or and like bling rappers and all of that in the early 2000s. And he just, you know, brought all of those guys onto the same album and then had them rap about the opposite of what they were expected to. to. So you had like Talib Kweli rapping about getting high and then you had people like Ludacris and Jay-Z you rapping about the kind of social struggles and religion and things like that. And so here he, he like puts the sacred and the profane right together on, on the same album. And, and one way in which he does that is that when Kanye says this is a God dream and when 
Chance the Rapper says, you know, I just met Kanye West. I'm I'm never going to fail. Like, are they blaspheming? Like, it seems like they're kind of making, like Kanye West is saying this is a dream for God. But I think he's also saying, oh, like, I am a God. This is a guy who on his last track, last album said, I am a God. And this is my vision because I am like the God of this work. So we talked about how everyone was worried this might be a flop and mm-hmm. it wasn't. And it's still a work in progress. And we still have yet to see what it will sound like after the commercial release. But do you have faith in Kanye still? Um, I have the highest faith in Kanye as a producer and as a musician. You know, there are some things I could not possibly condone in terms of his uh, Twitter feed, for example. And I don't think his verses on this album are his best, though he's frequently very funny. It is one of his funnier albums. Yeah, when it comes to the sound of the album, there's, to my mind, not a lot of other albums from the last few years that sound this good. Father, this prayer for everyone that feels they're not good enough. This prayer for everybody that feels that they're too messed up. For everyone that feels they said I'm sorry too many times. You can never go too far when you can't come back home again. That's why I need... Forrest Wickman is a culture editor here at Slate. Thanks, Forrest. Thanks for having me. And now the spiel, the bare necessity. A few weeks ago, I was out for lunch with a pack of Panoply podcast producers. We were advising a French news editor who wants to bring podcasts to her magazine over in France. In between bites of cheeseburger, I told her my advice. I said, you don't have to be an expert to have a podcast. Just be honest with your audience. Tell them, hey, I'm new at this. Bear with me while I learn how to podcast. They'll find it endearing. She laughed and shook her head. That's a very American notion. She's right. In addition to this being a very American notion, it's also a very podcaster notion. Podcasts have been around for about a decade, and it's not uncommon for a new show to admit that it's an experiment. Here's Savage Love in 2006. Hi, I'm Dan Savage, and I am the author of Savage Love, and this is a little experiment. And here's Mark Marin's pilot. I just don't know what the fuck half the time. In public radio, this became part of the brand of the first real breakout podcast success stories. Think Radiolab, when they found their audience in 2007, Think Planet Money, emerging after the financial crisis in 2008. Neither show pretended to be fully cooked out of the oven. Their secret recipe was to invite listeners into the kitchen, hoping that they keep coming back night after night and would delight in watching as the chef hones the menu. Ah, this metaphor sucks. Sorry, I'm new at hosting. Eep! This year, I've noticed the next generation in this trend. It's shows made by producers who likely came up listening to shows like Planet Money and Radiolab. I want to tell you about Millennial with Megan Tan. I've heard every episode of this show, and I've enjoyed every single one of them. Even though they make me flash back to my 20s, I think it's great. While applying for jobs and fellowships in radio, Megan decided to document that process in her own show. That's Millennial. This means that the making of the show, when she looked for sponsors, when she interviewed friends and family, this all becomes part of the show. Also, I didn't realize how difficult it would be to make a podcast in two weeks. To be honest, the first one took me four months. 
I also hear this in a podcast called The Intern, where a recent radio documentary graduate begins hosting a show for a tech company, Betaworks. This all probably sounds a little weird. A tech company that's interested in podcasting, looking for an intern who doesn't know a thing about tech and who's never made a podcast before. It is weird, and I'm trying to wrap my head around it myself. I'm getting the sense that this is somewhat of an experiment, a side project that James cooked up and that the CEO only vaguely knows about. This is another great, fun show. She's vulnerable. She's figuring it out. My theory is that an entire generation of podcast producers, myself included, learned this technique from the shows that mastered it. Alex Bloomberg, for example, he made Startup to tell the story of how he founded his podcasting network, Gimlet. The very first episode of the very first show demonstrates this vulnerability. He titled it, How Not to Pitch a Billionaire. If I'm honest, I sound like a douchebag. Dropping all this jargon, instead of saying listening to the radio, saying consuming audio. Also, notice how the more nervous I become, the higher my voice gets. So you're uniquely positioned to do it because you're better at it than anybody? Yeah. I can't hear enough of moments like this. So honest, so vulnerable, so like me. And I know I'm missing examples of this. In fact, I use the audio search engine called Audio Search, and I just plugged in the phrase, bear with me. It's today's version of Don't Touch That Dial. And it is so common, it's freaking me out. If you'll bear with me here for a second, you and I are just going to have a little talk. Lest you think somehow that I'm leading you down a rabbit hole here, bear with me, would you? Boring, yes, I know, but bear with me here, please. I know, just bear with me. All right, maybe I'm going down the wrong way with this, but bear with me. But bear with me. We'll work through this together. So I hope you'll bear with me. Please bear with me. This is a little bit far afield, but I'm just bear with me. I know some of you think astrology is woo-woo, but I just want you to bear with me and suspend your judgment. A fungus-like spore called bear with me here. Maybe you'll be surprised. Bear with me. So bear with me. So this is just a theory, and I'm new with this, but here's what I think bear with me does. It commands empathy from you listeners. We hope that if you're empathizing with what we're saying, we can translate that empathy into making what we're saying a little more interesting. It's the micro version of that larger trend in podcasting. I don't think it's going to last. The best magazine articles, movies, books, they just arrive fully formed. I consume them because they are entertaining or interesting, not because I want them to succeed at being magazines or books or articles. Here's my prediction. As podcasting matures, this trope will tire, will become more like France. Candid confessions from a newbie, though genuine and compelling to an American girl like me, it's going to stop feeling so new and interesting. We'll have to find a new way, like maybe a sound effect. It's a celebration. That's it for today's show. Our host is Mike Pesca, who wants you to bear left after 500 feet. Steve Lichtai is our executive producer for Slate Podcasts, and he reminds us that the bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer for the Panoply Network, and he's screening all the just applications as they come in, making sure they know how to sing the Bear News theme song. The gist. Even Goldilocks emailed me to find out the meaning of unprude, deprude, duprude. And if you also want to know, you should email me too. But Google it first. I want to get this query trending. I want it to autocomplete whenever we type it in. And then send a note to the gist at slate.com. I'll tell you all about it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>